Oh, what is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Gerald Valley here. And you know, that opening music gets me so amped. It's my buddy John Speck. John Speck is my favorite songwriter in the history of Detroit. And I know we have our Bob, Se Bob Seger fans. You've seen, you saw Tom, his, uh, his first tour manager. Bob Seger's huge in Michigan. Cole Seger's been on the show. My personal favorite songwriter is John Speck. Horse, the fags, the hi-fi hand grenades, and that right there is the scheming no goods dude. Wails on guitar and he writes great lyrics. So look him up. That's the scheming no goods. Had they have been anything I do, anything I have done, TV show in '07, podcasts. Uh, it's always John Speck music. So look him up. But I want to thank you all for tuning in today. Um, if you saw the first episode with Phil Stone, I know. I know you went straight to Facebook, you looked him up, you're like, who is this guy? Dude is amazing, he is uh, freaking incredible. And I asked him if he'd come back for round two. So today in the studio I have Phil Stone, I'm going to bring you another hour. And we are going to focus solely on his artwork because I've been drawing my whole life. I have been, I studied design at Wayne State and I, I still, I still illustrate I love to, to produce, to create. I love it. And Phil is posting stuff up right now that causes my head to explode. It is amazing. The dude is talented beyond belief on so many levels. And today we're going to focus on one. And that is his artwork. How he started. All the criticism. All of that. And you heard a little bit of it in, in, round, in uh, the first uh, episode. But we are going to dig deep into what exactly he had to go through traveling to the west coast freaking strip clubs drawing porn all of that today 58 minutes of it starts now i want to reintroduce you if you didn't see the first episode with mr phil stone now you get to see the man the most amazing i think one of the most amazing guests i've ever had here in the nrm studios mr phil stone thank you dude for coming back for another hour in here man Dude, the first hour was incredible. You blew my mind. We've been friends for it a while. quick. Well, we've been friends for a while now. Right. And, uh, I mean, it, 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 I was warned. I was warned by Maddie. <laughs> Maddie told me. He's like, there's a lot. There's a lot that you don't know about Phil. And we learned a little bit about that in episode one. You're going to end up becoming a couple-time per-season guest here because uh, there's so much. I mean, when are they making the movie, dude? When are they making the Phil Stone movie, I man? He wants to see that. I think he'll do as well as Cats did. <laughs> like, one, how is he still alive? And two, how can I get my money back from this film? I don't know about money back. I think the alive thing, you're, you're not too far off with the how is he still alive. But I think people would be chomping at the bit to say I never want him to die. Because uh, the way you've lived your There's life. There's some people out there that probably wish me dead. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it, it comes with the territory, I, right. I'd have to say. But, uh, you know, each part of your life, you've, you're you just all in. And with artwork, um, I mean, now it's, I'd say, paying dividends because you get to do it as a full-time gig. Yeah. But, uh, you know, let's start at the beginning because uh, I, I actually want to start, before we get to a very crucial point, you know, uh, out of the gate, uh, Five years old, where you draw like me. I was sitting in a bowling alley, drawing on the back of scorecards and drawing, you know, bowling balls and beer bottles. Right. Um, uh, for you, was it the same way? It w I think we touched on it a little bit in the first hour. Um, I grew up with like Creepy Magazine, Eerie Magazine, and that's the influence of my dad. It's like the horror magazines from the '70s and that you know the '80s before Warren Publishing went down. 
So I had his to go off of, and that's where I grew up with it, was that crisp black and white illustration art. And and the horror movies and stuff like that. And that's what it, it, it kind of got me in comic books and, and whatnot. But yeah, I always drew. Um, and it always felt right, just like when I got on my first skateboard. It was just, it was there. and But I had no idea what to do with it. So I just drew my little comics and, and just kept drawing and drawing. You know, high school, um, I think I had one art class, which was, you know, the garbage elective. And it, there was no um, uh, guidance whatsoever. There was no direction, is See, what I was saying. I was fortunate. Um, my art teacher really took me under her wing. She was younger, and she lived in like a school where a bunch of artists live, and that was my teacher. So, so you got lucky. Yeah, I, I very much did. And I was like into Andy Warhol and some pop art stuff, and I was painting thinking I was freaking cool. Right. And I really wasn't. But um, but that's I was very fortunate to have an art teacher like that who embraced that. And, and yours wasn't quite that. <laughs> my art teacher taught me how to play euchre. <laughs> That was, that was the. I, I mean, it was a valuable skill when I got to college. Yeah, I was like, oh, you play euchre? Yeah, I can play euchre. How'd you learn euchre? Art school or art class? Um, I knew I needed direction, I, and everybody was like, oh yeah, you draw really good. Well, that doesn't really help you. You know, you need that guidance. You need the person who says you suck, and then they need the same person to tell you like why you suck. So I had no guidance, and I wanted to go to art school really bad. I wanted to go to CCS. Um, my dad was like. No, my kid is not going to art school. So I had the college fund, and he was like, look, you can go to a four-year university and do something, you know, realistic. Ceramics? Uh, <laughs> underwater basket weaving. <laughs> right. And um, Or you can get an apartment and a job and, and whatever. So I'm like, well, I don't want to do that. Let's go to school. So I went to Oakland University and um, studied history and was completely miserable. Miserable. I actually, I, I graduated with like a low C average. It was like bare minimum, get them out of the high school kind of thing, right? So I had to go to this thing called the Academic Opportunity Program at Oakland University for kids who weren't going to make it academically in life, right? <laughs> so I had to go to this miserable summer program two weeks after I graduated high school. And that, that's just a morality killer right there. You're doing remedial math and English in a university. But I have to say, like most creatives that I know, myself included, I had to struggle to get C's and B's. I wasn't very... Uh, book smart right I, I know a few that were on the honor society and they were very creative most i mean you can draw you can paint you can make music but you're i think not... they just gave it to me they were like just look <laughs> bare minimum just bare minimum get them the hell out of here because i would you know i mean i was a degenerate country punk kid you know who just caused trouble and i had a big mouth <laughs> And I skated. <laughs> and now, I... were you inspired? Like for me, uh, the first time I saw Lance Mountain, the um, paint his grip tape. I have I have painted my grip tape since then. Were you inspired by any of the uh, creative? I was inspired artsy? by Corey Webster. Corey Webster, I love Corey Webster. Corey Webster, GNS. No. no, oh Corey. Uh... Corey Webster. See, I'm thinking of Danny Webster, uh, Santa Cruz. Corey Webster, no. Thrashing movie. No way with the upside down wrist guards. <laughs> in the, on the cover of Thrasher's wrist guards are no, on backwards. No, th Thrashing, thrashing yeah. movie. Yeah, his wrist guards are on backwards on the cover. If you look, the, the little curved oh, plastic thing. He didn't have a stunt double for his, his wrist guards. But no, when, when Corey Webster was like, just, you know, drawing the, the, you know, the Charlotte's Web up in the corner, and I was like, I don't want to do that. Really? And I was like, well, you know, I lived in Armada. I mean, to have a VCR in the first place was like, you know, you were, 
You were it. And I'm all going, I'm all going Danny Webster, GNS, Corey O'Brien, Santa Cruz. Uh, Who are you talking uh, Corey about? Webster. Corey Webster. Yeah, thrash. He, he had that dumb little spider with the Charlotte's. It took him the whole, I mean, I haven't seen it in years, but I mean, it, it feels like he spent that entire movie coming up with that stupid graphic. Like he was always doodling on that board. I'm like, this thing's got to be epic. No, it's, it's a spider and a cobweb up in the corner of the nose. I'm like, really? You spent. Two hours of this movie doing that? I'm going to have to revisit that because I probably haven't watched it since it came out whenever that was, mid to late 80s. But it was maybe. Seven Plies Canadian Maple. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the dude bounces the wheel and it comes yeah. like from like left field into his hand. And I think Mike McGill did the, du- yeah. the stunt doubles for him. And uh, th- at the time, it was sort of cool because the skateboarding was on the big screen. It, it was actually oh, yeah. cool for a minute. And then you realize, yeah, not that cool. I always wanted to be a dagger. Uh, everybody did. Everybody they, daggers wanted were to cool. Be they were they were very cool. Hosoi was in, up in there. I mean, Hosoi was a dagger. All those guys. <laughs> the daggers are still. You go online and Dave Duncan, Eddie Redigy, mm-hmm. uh, they're they're still putting out dagger boards and and doing That's their thing. Awesome. Doing their thing. So you go to Oakland University. You study history. Are you drawing throughout this time? Still creating. So stuff? I took one. I mean, obviously, I was only allowed like one elective with an art class again. You know, and I was stuck with that. And it was Oakland University is not an art school. Again, no direction whatsoever. It was basically here's a you know an art elective. Um, the teacher was really weird. She um, she ended up at my dorm one night looking for drugs. <laughs> I didn't know etiquette in college. I was an idiot. I'm sure my my frontal cortex still wasn't even developed yet. I didn't know etiquette. And she comes up. She goes, "Where are you?" St-? Because, you know, I had these giant combat boots on with Spider-Man bow biters on them, and I looked like, oh, that kid does drugs. I'm going to go talk to him. So she goes, where are you staying? I said, you know, 9 North and Hamlin. And I didn't think anything of it and told him my room number. And, like, later that night, there's a bang on the door, and there's my art teacher. And she's like, you got any drugs? No. I'm poor. <laughs> and if I had drugs, I wouldn't get get out. So, yeah, it was that was that was it for my art class. But, I mean, I lived there. I mean, my parents were going through a divorce at the time, so I couldn't go back home. I mean, I didn't want to deal with that shit. So I just ended up living in Oakland. And you go, I mean, I didn't drink that much in high school. I did mostly psychedelics and, and, you know, acid and mescaline and smoked a lot of weed. But I drank a lot in in college, and that was mostly just dealing with it. When you're doing something that you know you're not meant to do, it affects you. And it affects, and you know, and everything that happened in high school, showing my portfolio, getting turned down, and people just, you know, the company's telling you to suck and all that kind of stuff. It just, it comes back at the end more and more and drank. It was just, it was total misery. And I had the most god awful grades. And um, yeah, it just, I snapped one night during a party and uh, tried to end it. No way. It was, um, I haven't talked about this, got 25 years. Um, yeah, it was, you know, I was stuck and I had no future. I was like, okay, I'm going to study history and my best outcome is to work at a museum, you know, as a docent or whatever. And there was, there was no other direction for me. And there was just one night just popping way too many pills. And the last thing I remember is heading out seven story window. And that's the last thing I remember. And uh, the next day I know, I woke up in a four-point resp- uh, restraint at Beaumont Hospital. And, uh, yeah, admitted to a psychiatric uh, facility for, I was there for about a week. 
No way. Because it was done. It was like, what am I going to do? You know, I, I, I built this up throughout, you know, junior high and high school that I'm going to work for Marvel. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And, you know, now I'm forced into a university studying something that, yeah, I like history. But, I mean, it, it just looking ahead, it's like I have I'm not going to be doing what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And I have no direction whatsoever. And that's why the drinking got really bad in, in college and took anything that anybody offered me, any kind of pill. You and know. how were you 21, 22, 19? No, I was 19. I mean, I started college right two weeks after I graduated high school. You know, and I went a year and a half living in Oakland. I was living in three different dorm halls at the time. It was, uh, you know, Hamlin North, Hamlin South, and Vandenberg. And um, yeah, it was just one night at a party and that we had in my dorm. And I want to say it was the anniversary of like Kurt Cobain's death, and my, my roommate hated Kurt Cobain. I just remember him walking around playing uh, Teen Spirit on his thing, and I just snapped and went to jump out the seven-story window head first through two pla- uh, panes of glass. And, um, you know, we didn't have cameras. So somebody actually – I only know this from, you know, the people that were there, what had happened. And um, somebody actually drew the window. I got I – was, I was so messed up. I didn't have enough speed to get my whole body through the window. So, yeah, they put me in the – the bathroom picking glass out of my out of my head until uh, the ambulance got there and well. that's that's when i was like cash it in i'm done mm-hmm. i can't i can't do what i want to do and i'm done i'm gonna just and that's why i hung it up now okay you're 19 it I does was, yeah i was we'll say 19, close, close to 20 yeah. 19 20 years old i mean it's just the beginning i understand because i didn't think i'd live past 25 I didn't think I would live past 25 and went through a similar kind of experience. You know, right. wake up in my bedroom in a puddle of blood, and it's not that cool. Right. And and then uh, once I came out of that, my philosophy was like hell. <laughs> I woke up the last like three years and wish I didn't, and now I made it through this. I'm gonna live forever. They're never gonna let me die. I'm gonna right. live forever, so I might as well make the most of it. And that's how I came out of that situation. How did you come out after? Uh, I mean, uh, how long were you in a psych ward for? Uh, I was in there for a week. Okay, and and when you came out of that, um, were you like, damn, I didn't succeed. I can't succeed at anything. Or yeah, pretty you- much. I was like, man, I. I fucked that up too. <laughs> right, right. So I ended up. Um, they, you know, they take away all your sharp objects when Shoe you're laces. in there, and you know, all that kind of good stuff. So they allowed me. My dad came in, and you know, you hit rock bottom when your dad's bringing you a carton of basic lights to the psych ward. <laughs> <laughs> and some. That's pencil. a drawing. That is a drawing. Right. So you know, they let me have a pencil and paper. So I ended up drawing in there, but. Yeah, it was it was it was pretty rough, you know. And then I ended up, they threw me out of Oakland, because um, you know when, when the ambulance comes to take somebody out, that you know, the RA's like, yeah, he tried to you know commit suicide. They're like, mm, you're not going to come back to Oakland until you have a psych review. And I didn't want to go back, right? You know, so I ended up living in a, a house. It was actually it was a two bedroom townhouse in Pontiac, um, with eighteen other people. It was this total punk rock commune and um, started it back up again. You know, it's like skateboarding. You fall down, you get back up. You mm-hmm. fall down, you get back up. So I started that dream again. And um, I was like, no, I'm going to I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it again. I had no direction. So, you know, it wasn't until 
I got a call. I was living in another house with a bunch of other people years later. Um, I got a call from Blue Comet Press, um, which is a really weird way of how I got into that. There used to be a book called Artist Market. But this is before the internet. You know, mm-hmm. you couldn't look things up. And every year, the Artist Market would come out, and it was almost like an encyclopedia of, um, of publishers who were looking for to hire. And, you know, to sit there, and I would draw out these samples, and they were garbage, and I would, I would mail them out in these manila envelopes after photocopy them at Kinko's. And then I would drink until I got the rejection letter. And, you know, we'd have these parties of readings of my rejection letters. And, I, you know, they were, and then one guy called me. And he called me up, and he was like, I can't, even, I can't even mimic his voice. He was so messed up. He goes, look, you suck, but I'm going to help you. And I was like, okay, I'm going to teach you how to draw over the phone. And I'm like, okay. And I was all excited that somebody actually took the time to call me, and they were like, I'm going to help you. Right, right. And, and that's what I was looking for since, since high school, just someone to say, look, you have to do this, and then you have to do this, and you have to do this. So this dude's on the phone, and I never met the guy. His name was Craig Storman. He owned um, Blue Comet Press. Okay. And um, so he goes, I want you to go to the CVS, and I want you to go pick up any kind of, like, children's book you can find. And I was like, okay. He goes, I want you to take it back, and I want you to trace it. And then I want you to send it to me. So I'm like, okay. So I'm walking into CVS, right? I got a two-foot green mohawk at this point. Sweet. I look like a total degenerate in the children's book aisle, picking out (laughs) any coloring book I can find of, like, Pretty Pretty Princess and, you know, the (laughs) Magic Secret Castle coloring books. And I got a big stack of them, and I'm like, it's for art, you know? And this lady's like, yeah, okay, whatever, you weirdo. Right, you creeper. And so I traced all this stuff. My buddy's like, what are you doing? I'm like, no, this is what Craig told me to do. So I trace all this stuff, mail it off. He calls me up. He goes, all right, that was good. This is what I want you to do now. And I was like, okay. He goes, I want you to go get any kind of, like, women's magazines. And I want you to trace, you know, Vogue and all that kind of stuff. Learn the human form that way. And I was like, all right. So I did that. He goes, mail them off to me. Mail them off to him. So then he calls me back. He was like, all right. And now I want you to get a bunch of porn. <laughs> really get into the human figure. And I was like... All right, so I just go under my bed. <laughs> and I start drawing all this stuff or tracing it. So he goes, all right, now come up with a story. Well, this is where my sister's you know, boyfriend comes in. I was like, all right, we need a story. We're going to come up with something. So I came up with this goofy book called The Anti-Dave Dixon Show. And it was basically like a talk show. And we blew up you know, guests. And we were going to do famous people and stuff like that. And uh, so he goes, oh, that's really good. How soon can you get out here? And I was like, where? He goes, San Diego. Give me two weeks. So so at this time, how are you paying the bills? What are you doing for money? I was working in a warehouse at Service Merchandise, if anybody's old enough to remember Service Merchandise. Oh, yeah. I was the guy who sent your stuff down the conveyor belt. Okay. <laughs> we had one closed by my house. They and, all closed. And we, got it, we broke in and skated it. And right. Got the, the conveyor belt still worked and stuff, and we would rip around inside there until they demolished it, and now it's, uh, I don't even know, like a gymnastics school or something. But, yeah, Service Merchandise. Funny. So, so you're paying the bills here. This guy's saying, get out here in two weeks. Uh, and no, where- he asked me how, how quickly I could be out there. I'm like, dude, I can be out there in two weeks. I had no idea how I was going to get out there. And... So I took everything in my bank account. I looked at my sister and her boyfriend. Her boyfriend was writing, and um, his name was Simon. So I said, look, we're going to California. And they're like, why? I'm like, we're drawing comic books. 
And they kind of knew what was going on. I was like, no, this is this this is it. This is my deal. It's going to happen. We're going to draw fucking comic books. We're going to fucking write them. And it's going to be amazing. So we rent a budget truck. And because U-Haul was too expensive. So we, we, we rented this budget truck. Now, going in the way we looked, like Simon was this total death metal kid. My sister's like this, I don't know, rockabilly goth. And then you got like scumbag gutter punk Phil, right? We want a U-Haul truck, you know? <laughs> So they won't let you rent the small one because you can steal those. So they made us rent the largest U-Haul truck. And I'm like, I don't have anything. I have a duffel bag of clothes and a portfolio. That's all I had. My buddy Simon had a plant and a, and some clothes. My sister had whatever. So I'm like, all right, we got to do this. And we got to do this in three days because I have no money. After we rented everything. And um, so long story short, got out to California and um, it, we ended up staying at this this um, weird third removed cousin of Simon's mom or something like that, who we showed up the doorstep at like two o'clock in the morning. And they're like, we don't know who you are. They had to go through like family lineage, make phone calls before they even like let us into the house. They're like, you can stay out in the shed out in the orange grove. I had 50 bucks to my name when we got there. No idea where to stay. No apartment. No nothing. And where are you at? You like near San Diego, Southern California. We were California? 20, 20 minutes north of it. We ended up, um, we ended up in um, Carlsbad. Okay, because I lived in Oceanside for a while. Yeah, and Oceanside, right next door. Oceanside was actually pretty rad. Like Oceanside far, was fantastic. It's like a blue collar. Like everything's yep. bail bonds because the military base there. But it's it was. Um, People actually weren't just trying to get over on you. Like, people were living and, and not trying to make money off you, like most of the rest of my experience in California. Oh, yeah, that's good. So Oceanside was actually pretty cool. They had cool. a cool arcade there, man. They had, like, pinball machines. Then that's where I got my Coke. Go <laughs> <laughs> to Oceanside, go get Coke. Go so get an eight ball. I, I want a <laughs> visual of what this dude on the phone is because— So I finally meet with the guy. Yeah, I want to know what this guy looks like. So— we borrow this third removed cousin's car, and I'm like, all right, I got to drive up to Redondo and go meet Craig. This is where Phil Stone's dreams get crushed once again. Drive up to Redondo where the quote-unquote office is. <laughs> I drive up to this little bungalow, and out walks this, this guy from a time warp, hippie, just... I don't even know if he took a shower since the 60s, right? This guy was so crusty. So he's like, oh, man, what's up? This and that. It's my parents' house. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Where's the office? Oh, it's in the basement. Are you okay? This is like a Jack Black movie, dude. So <laughs> he takes me in his bedroom, which is his childhood bedroom, and shows me the comics he's been publishing, self-publishing since 1982 or 1980 or something like that. And I'm like, great. What have you been doing? Well, no, that's where you come in. Well, okay. Well, where's the office? Well, it's I got a desk downstairs in the basement and this and that. I'm like, this this is not happening. This is totally not. I'm expecting like an office with people and other artists. And, and I got this dude, Craig, his 90-year-old dad's watching a black and white TV in the den. His mom can't walk right. He's got two molars hanging out of his ear. And I said, <laughs> where'd you get those teeth? Like, what? What? He, oh, those are mine. I'm like, what do you mean they're yours? He goes, I pulled out my molars and made earrings out of them. I, I was like, okay, let's. Yeah, I do heroin. Great. 
So you just mortgage your life, go across the country. I, got, I probably at this point got twenty bucks in my pocket, and we just begged, borrowed, and stole to get the apartment right. And it, I used to call it the blue nightmare. It was this stucco shithole that we actually had to sign a release that we would not eat the paint off the walls because it contained lead. <laughs> Never had to sign a release like that before. So we went with it. I was like, well, there probably will be a time where I'm going to eat this paint. <laughs> so anyway, I'm with this guy. I'm like, all right, well, what job do you have? He goes, well, I thought you guys had a book. And I'm like, yeah, we do, but I mean, are, are you publishing it? or No, 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 we're going to do something different. Well, what are we going to do? Porn. The Japanese will eat it up. Do you know? And they start giving me these weird facts and figures about, um, you know, porn's illegal in Japan, and that's why you got manga and all this, like, you know, Japanese porn comics and stuff. That's what we're going to do. We're going to totally break into it. Okay. Well, I have to say, at that time in the comic world, there was some crazy stuff. Like There was a lot like, of adult like comics. Faust and EO yep. and those kinds of things were very black and white. They were like uh, a Conan, like very, very l- yeah. line-heavy. Uh, and, and it was like demons and porn and weird stuff going on. We, and- had, um, we had to come up with a story. And me and my, my, me and my, boy, my sister's boyfriend, Simon, we got so lit one night trying to come up with a story. And we got really drunk and decided to go down by the beach. And on our way down the beach was about two blocks away. There's a ton of bars at the time in, in Carlsbad. And we find this giant cutout of a Budweiser horse. So in the ditch, I'm like, oh, my God, this is amazing find. You know how when you're drunk, it's just mind-blowing that we found this treasure in a ditch. We need to, This needs to be a part of our life. So we took it back to the Blue Nightmare, right? Got a bunch of tinfoil, put horns on it and chains, and you know, put 666 all over it. We renamed it Ambassador Bastard, the Satanic Horse of Doom, and proceeded to take the ambassador out at 1 o'clock in the morning through Carlsbad, going, nay, nay, you know, like you know when cars went by and stuff. And the cops came. And took our horse and, you know, told us to go home. And, I, and ironically, Tony Hawk or his family were somewhere so in the, the vicinity. Depre- <laughs> here's the depressing part about that. I'll tell you in a minute. So they took our horse and told us to go home. And my friend Simon was like, we're writing a comic about the ambassador. And I'm like, okay, cool. So there's this story, Ambassador Bastard, the Satanic Horse of Doom. And he had a gang of thugs and he raped and pillaged lands. And that was one of the comics. Natural progression. And then there was another one called the um, the senseless sexual exploits, the Astro sluts from Planet X. Unf- you know, but that kind of stuff at that time, right, would do well. But the thing was, it would do well. But Craig Storman from Blue Comet Press thought we could go through the regular distributorships with this. Good luck. So, so exactly. So every every other day, I'd get a phone call. Nah, they told me to go to hell. I can't publish. I'm like, well, it's mainstream. They're gonna take it. You need a. So I ended up working at a bar called the G Spot. <laughs> I'm like, and it was it was just there's a whole book that was you could be written about the the debacle and so it it was another downward spiral. Um, I got a phone call. I went to um, Comic uh, Con in San Diego when it was an actual Comic Con, and it was a last push of we were going to try to find somebody to publish this now. Now I'm trying to help this decrepit old heroin addict try to revive what he did in the 80s. And um, I'm like, I, don't even, I can't even keep my own shit together, right? 
And um, so long story short, we went to Comic-Con. It was, it was complete and utter. It was a nightmare. I mean, it was an at, he had a VW bus that got stuck in the parking garage. They had to push us out because he was so fucked up. And the clearance, you know, the moonroof got taken off. And long story short, I got to meet Glenn Danzig. Oh, is he really like four foot tall? Yeah, he came up to my chest. He was a complete <laughs> dick. Um, I mean, I, I was on a, we were doing coke the whole time. I mean, I'm just going to preface it with that. <laughs> So what I said to Glenn Danzig probably pissed him off to the point where he's like, fuck out of my face. And I was Did like, you go, hey, little guy, where's your parents? No, I was like, hey, thanks for getting me through ninth grade, man. <laughs> so Why was, would that piss him off? Because I, mean, I was so intense. You know, oh, the, the, yeah. the coke eyes, <laughs> you know, always constantly that stuff. I ended up getting thrown out. Um, uh, Matt Groening had to call um, security on me. Wow. Well, I thought with my publisher pass, I could go anywhere. Right, right. So right. I'm like, oh, Matt Groening. I walked behind his booth. I'm like, oh, Matt, what's going on? This and that. Hey, I'm Phil Stone. What's going on? This thing. He goes, get the hell out of here. These people are pushing me. I'm like, no, no, no. I got to pass. We're good. We're good. He's like, get out. The security came. Craig's like, I guess we got to go. And I was like, yeah, we got to go. So we got in the, you know, the VW bus. And How long did you spend on the West Coast before you're like, dude, I'm going back to. Well, this is what happened. So um, uh, long story short, it was I was there for about a year. Probably less than a year. Um, the point where my, my first ex-wife came back during that period, showed up on my doorstep. I mean, there was so much weird stuff that happened. So anyway, uh, Craig goes back to Redondo. He drops me off, you know, and I go about my way working at the G-Spot, and I'm just just drawing still. But I at this point, I'm like, there's no hope whatsoever. This is, this is just dumb. I'm working at this bar. I'm doing mass amounts of drugs and drinking and skating when I can. And I get a phone call. Four o'clock in the morning. Four o'clock in the morning calls, especially when you don't know anybody out there, are never good. Right. It's Craig. And he's screaming. I'm like, dude, what? You know, I'm half asleep. I'm like, what's going on? He goes, I'm shot. I'm like, okay, well, who shot you? He goes, me. And I was like, explain. I shot my foot off. I'm like, well, why'd you do that? He goes, well, I was aiming for my head. And I'm like, okay. Why are you calling me? I just want to let you know that I shot my foot off. I'm like, call an ambulance, Craig. All right. <laughs> that was the end of Craig. Really? Yep. Aimed for his head, shot his foot. That was the last I ever heard of Craig. At that point, that was the last nail in the coffin on any hope I had. When the only thread I had of, like, you know, staying with the comic industry, you know, went to off himself and accidentally shot his foot. I mean, he went from north to south. So, yeah, it was it was a downward spiral, like I said. And you know you hit rock bottom again when, you know, my sister moved out at that time. My Her boyfriend had already moved back to Michigan. They had broken up. So it was just basically me in this, in this shithole apartment. And the G-spot. On the G spot, <laughs> and um, yeah, there was one night there was me, a hooker, and a construction worker doing coke in my apartment. No idea who these people were. Came home from the bar with night, you know, and if they got coke, they're friends till the coke's gone. Right. And um, coke ran out, and um, they left, and here I am with a McDonald's straw shoved up my nose, snorting the carpet because I could have swore. <laughs> 
true story. I swore I dropped Coke somewhere in this carpet, and God damn it, I'm going to get it. And it got to the point where all of a sudden my whole nose just exploded. I mean, there was so much just, I can't even remember if we even vacuumed that place or not. And it's, it's just ripping apart my nose. And had a complete and utter breakdown. Ended up at the G-spot the first thing in the morning, and I was talking to the owner. I'm like, I have to go. He goes, yeah, you do have to go. You have to get the fuck out of the state. And I think I, I, I talked about that in the first one. And he bought me a Greyhound bus ticket. Mm-hmm. He bought me a carton of smokes, got me drunk, and gave me 50 bucks. Put me on a Greyhound. And um, three days, cross country on a Greyhound. My mom picked me up. I was in rehab. And again, you know, it's like, it's just, that's that. And then uh, after I got a rehab, got sober for a bit and uh, ended up at that, you know, that apartment that was living in that attic. And um, that's when I was just, I'm done. I am not going to do art. And that's when I got into hair. And then we we talked about a lot about your hair career. Yeah, in, yeah. The, in, in episode one. Um, were you drawing throughout your hair career or was that just no. totally shelved? Totally shelved. Done. I, I mean, I hit rock bottom twice. I tried to kill myself, and mm-hmm. then I almost killed myself. You know, and it's just, it, it's just, and then all of the, it was just defeat after defeat after defeat. And it wasn't until um, I had quit Rusk after 10 years, owned a salon. By my time I got to the second salon, I, uh, it's a super long story. I took a salon from nothing. I had bought it, and I went to flip it. I flipped it in two years, got it profitable again. Me and my wife did and it game very profitable. So I'm like, I want to open a game store. Had a total manic moment. I want to open a tabletop gaming store. And um, I'm gonna, I found a manager, opened this thing. I said, I'm not going to keep it. I'm going to sell it within a year because I wanted to prove myself that with a high school diploma, I could start a business from scratch, not just buying one, and make it profitable and then sell it. And what more fun I could have is with tabletop gaming. I always like tabletop gaming. So while I was sitting there, I'd, I was in the salon half the time, and then the other half of the time I was running the game store. The other half of the time I was in the salon, I had a manager running it for me. And um, when I was there, it was it was slow in the morning. You know, kids were at school, whatever. So I was like, eh, you know what? Set up a drawing table, start drawing again. And I started whittling away at it, and I was like, all right. And I started picking up the style I had when I was in California, and I got that style, and I still kind of use it today with those psychotic lines and the chaotic shadows and stuff like that. That's all cocaine. <laughs> because I would sit there alone in that apartment in California with a rapidiograph pen mm-hmm. doing doing rendering with, with ink and I'd just sit there just do a line. You know, and then do another line. And he's just like all these psychotic lines. So I started picking that up and, and started making it a little bit more controlled. And then I was like, okay, you know, two years went by, and I sold the game store. I'm like, you know what? Let's keep this going. So I wanted, to, I taught myself how to digitally draw, and I bought a little Wacom tablet, got the got the program, and um, this little drawing program for manga, or manga or whatever, and um, taught myself how to use a, a tablet, and started listening to tutorials. And I said, I told my son, I said, in six months. I'm going to be drawing, you know, like digital video game stuff. Well, I didn't even come close, but I could do black and white art. So then I was like, all right, I have no direction. I don't know if I'm good or bad. And that's when the autoimmune disease started kicking in. 
and my hands started going bad. And, you know, because I dealt with that for the last seven years. Now, is is seven years ago, is that when you discovered you had this disease? Yeah. And, um, and, and like you said in the first hour, you know, hair started falling out. Your hands were crazy when you were in here a few weeks ago. So dry and cracking. And, and, and it's got to be, uh, I mean, that's another one. That's, I mean, quality of life changing. I mean, it, it really is a shift in your mindset. Um, how do you get past that? You Just, don't, I mean, <sighs> you say, F it, I'm, I'm going 110%. Because I have to say, for our listeners, if you can find somebody with more drive than Phil Stone, send him my way. Because I have never met anybody like him who, when he sets his mind to something, it's it's all in. I am all in. All into the West Coast. All into a tabletop game store. He, he dominated the hair industry because he was all in, and now he's dominating the art industry. Your drive is freaking amazing. How do you say, something is taking over my body, what do I do now? Um, I, I fought it. I was like, no, you're not taking this from me. So I would try to adjust things, you know, in the, in the salon and I'd go to the doctor and they'd be like, just quit your job. I'm like, well, I don't <laughs> want to quit my job right. and I don't have health insurance. So you're, you're paying cash, right? You pay cash. You walk in a hundred bucks to, you know, the urgent care and they're like, eh, yeah, you got an autoimmune disease. Here's some steroids. You know, I'm like, and that clears up and it's like, okay. I want it gone. I don't even know what it is. And that's why it took so long because it's like, you know, I don't, I don't have health insurance. So I was just treating the symptoms and I'd have to adjust. It's like, okay, I can't do color anymore because the color was affecting me. So I'd get a colorist because I'm not giving this up. I worked way too hard to get where I was at with hair, especially with, you know, my wife and I ran for five years the, you know, an educational website while we owned the salon. And when I quit Rusk and stuff, and it was like, there was so much going on. I was like, I'm not losing this. And it wasn't until the salon grew exponentially that we that we flipped. And it was time to grow. So I found a larger space. We doubled in size down the street. And again, my wife and I built that up from nothing. We we did we did all the work, you know, no contractors, no nothing. We did everything. Two years into that. All of a sudden, my hair is just coming out horribly, and my hands aren't getting any better. And a lot of things happened at that plaza I was in where we were losing business. I mean, to the point where there were trailers parked off to the side where they were running hookers. That's a whole other story. Anyway, I looked, I looked at my wife, we're done. I can't, I can't do this anymore because I'm basically holding this place together. Half of my staff didn't even want to work late. And I don't blame them because it was bad. You know, you had a hookah bar and you had a couple other like cafes that were in this, uh, you know, this plaza. And, and it was just, it was, it was a nightmare. Meanwhile, at the other salon, when I, when I had the, the tablet to kind of go back to that, um, I didn't know if I was good or not. So I thought it'd be funny to find a bunch of RPG game, you know, companies and send off samples of what I've been doing. What I was hoping for was criticism with some BS resume. I had nothing to put on it. I wasn't going to put blue comet press. I drew porn, you know, well, I will tell you the first time, like I started sending out stuff with an agent name. I had a cat named Floyd and a cat named Stanley. So my representative was Floyd Stanley. That's that awesome. was, that was my representative. My five-year goal on my resume was I just want one thing published. So my kid thinks I'm cool. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha!
So anyway, the next day, I get I get a, uh, an email back from a company called Enworld.org, huge RPG news like company online. I was like, well, holy shit! They're like, we got some work for you if you want it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. And I've been working for them for seven years now. Right on. And when I decided that I could not do hair anymore, when I actually had to just hang it up after 20 years, I, you know, I, that's all I had was that company. And they were only giving me like one or two assignments a month, which was fine at the time because it was like, all right, you know, there was just little illust- quarter page illustrations for articles online. And now I have no idea what something like that, what you could charge somebody. Is it 100 bucks, 1000 bucks? Oh, God, bucks, no. 20 bucks? Like, what is 40. it? 40. Okay. Quarter page, full color, I'm getting 40 bucks. Okay. And it, it was like, okay, well, you know, if I wasn't skating or whatever, it was just, I would pop one of these things out, you know? And um, so now, I, I, I'm like, this is all I have now. I have this one company. And I went from hairdresser one day to October 1st to sitting at a drawing table going, I have nothing, and I have to make this work really quick. So I went on to Facebook, and I looked up every RPG company I could find, liked all their stuff, and played with Facebook's algorithm. So obviously the next morning, my entire news feed is all these indie presses. So I spent a week sending out at least 20 applications or you know samples out every day for a week. So 20 times 7, I mean, it's 140. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, they started rolling in. Enworld's big enough where they're like, oh, he works for Enworld. All right, let's try him out. Right on. And it took within the year. Now I'm working consistently with 11, 11 publishers right now. And you also. I also do my own stuff. And you've furthered your education a little bit. So I went back to school. Yes. And I needed that because it's like, okay, I'm here, but I need to get better. And I, now that, you know, after going through all that bullshit since high school, I, I took all that and kind of said, okay, I need direction. So my, my wife and son were just like, you can go back to school. You can do this. They're so supportive. And they were like, well, you can do this. And I'm scared shitless because your savings will go down the toilet if that's what you're living on. And I think I had four months of savings that we keep. I'm like, this is it. I have four months. Other than that, I'm we're, we're on the streets. And um, so I went back to school. And um, now I'm the old guy taking art classes. And, it, and it's funny because including high school, I think I've taken two art classes. Learned over the phone from a heroin addict. <laughs> and cocaine. Those were my <laughs> teachers. Right? So, so I'm back in school. I go to school two days a week. And just in that year of back into school, it's gotten better. Like, it's like, oh, okay, I can do this now. I didn't know I could do this. Okay, and then, you know, learning how to ask questions and being in that environment of, you know, art school. 
they're like, you need to do this, 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 and this. And I was like, this is what I needed in 1991. Right. This see, is what I needed. I have to say, I had it in 91. Like, I, I went to Wayne State to study right. design. And I went in there sort of cocky. You know, I got this small little $2,000 scholarship from the city, and that would cover, like, my gouache. You right. You know, nothing. <laughs> and, um, and, and so... I went in there like, why am I taking life drawing? I'm an illustrator. I draw skateboard graphics. I don't need any right. of this. Whatever. And uh, being patient enough to take the, st- you know, to seriously draw still life, to draw the human figure, it made my creativity so much better because now I understood it and I could actually do it. Um, school, if you give it a chance, really does. I love it. It, it, it it's such a nice extension uh, to your creative mind and what you what you bring to the table. It just broadens that palette, you know. I'm on Dean's list. <laughs> what Dean's list every year. And I'm you, you, you all heard the story up to this point. Up to this point, you've heard it. You heard uh, going out west, cocaine, crazy strippers, all this kind of stuff. Freaking Dean's List. Dean's, Dean's list. list right there. That's rad, Phil. Oh, it's hilarious. It's, it's funny because me and my mom were cracking up about it. I was like, you know, I, I got my first Dean's List letter after the first year back in college. She was like, what? I'm like, Dean's List, ma? That's and I had awesome. an English class too, you know, because you got to take that. I'm in astronomy right now with a, you know, pre-visualization class. But um, yeah, she just cracks up. She goes, "Yeah, you weren't like this." I'm like, "Yeah, I know I wasn't like this." You but know? you're fired up, and it's something you want to oh, yeah. do. I print that thing off in my dean's list letter. Dude, it's on the fridge. Yeah, I don't care how stupid it looks. I love that. So, I love that. Yeah, it's I'm I'm proud of it. You know, so the, but the hardest thing is I don't want to catch myself, and I've done it. You know, catch myself sitting there thinking, what if I would have went to art school right after high school? Doesn't matter. Right. Doesn't matter to But you get that. I get yeah. that thinking, mm-hmm. you know, but it's like, no, because I look at my stuff now and I and I see myself with a lot of these a lot of these kids in, in, in my class and stuff. And I'm like, where they're at now. I was. I was in a psych ward. Mm hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I'm looking at 19 year old kids in my class, going, "Oh man, you got so much life ahead of you." Yeah, but you wouldn't be producing the art you're producing today had you not went through those. No, things. absolutely, absolutely not. Absolutely. And I got a, I got a question emailed to me to ask you. Speaking of that, um, do you know this person? Uh, uh, yeah, of course I do, and you do too. And he said you had been drawing some crazy, like demonic kind of things, and and he hadn't seen you skate in a while, and he was wondering if you were possessed by a demon. He wondered, like, drawing Necronomicon and all this evil stuff, <laughs> have you ever been possessed by an an evil entity? That was his question. So here's the deal. So I had to... I thought you were going to laugh off that question. <laughs> no. So... <laughs> and we got, let's see, we got 12 minutes. 12 minutes. So I had to put... When 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 you do something like this, jump from one career to the next, you have to put some things on hold. I had to cut back on my skateboarding. I had to. I was skating four days a week. You're crushing it, mind you. Thank you. You were. But here's something that's it, and it's a beautiful trade off. I don't mind it. You know, if if I had to get a full time job bagging groceries, and then I had to put skateboarding on hold, I, I'd be miserable. To put a gun in my head again. Okay. But here's my opportunity. And I have to make it work. As I, I started with absolute zero um, to make this work. So, yeah, I had, I had to do a trade-off. I had to cut down on skateboarding. That's why they haven't seen me too much, you know. Um, I had to take the last two weeks off because I've been doing – I constantly do four books at a time. 
four full books. And yeah, I've been doing a lot of like evil, evil demonic stuff. And the first one I did for the um, the spell book uh, for the necromancy book for Dungeons and Dragons. That was the one he asked about specifically. So I did that. And whenever I do something like that, still now, I immerse myself in it. I'm not going to just draw some hokey-ass pictures. Well, and I think judging just anybody listening to this uh, would assume that because you are all in. Like I said a few minutes ago, anything you do, you're all in. And and so I'm not surprised at all. So I, my wife was scared for a while. For about two months, she was petrified because my playlist on YouTube consisted of a lot of chanting, um, the Necronomicon audiobook. Um, ancient Sumerian spells, um, you know, the, the Anunnaki, um, the Church of Satan, you know, a lot of things on Anton LaVey, all that kind of stuff. I was all in. Mm-hmm. So you figure I'm working on this seven days a week along with other stuff, and this stuff is totally going off. I've lost, um, I lost, uh, I have like this weird spot in my house now where I have no phone signal. Around my computer. I mean, that's So there might be some new. truth to this. So, yeah, and it never was like that. I can't answer my phone while I'm at my desk. I actually literally have to wheel across the um, to the living room to answer a, fo- a phone call. So I keep making a joke that, yeah, there's some kind of weird vortex, you know, in the, in the house now, which is fine, you know. Mm. What are you going to do? But, yeah, it's funny because a lot of people didn't catch on it. My The first one I put out, the spell book, um, it did very well on Kickstarter. And I made it authentic because behind each picture, there's a bunch of like writing and stuff like that. And it's actual. Um, I took the ancient Sumerian spells that were, you know, put into the Necronomicon when that was published and um, put them into Latin. And uh, that's the background of all those images. Nobody caught on. So I did it again with a divination book and um, nobody caught on to it then. So I was like, all right, so the next one that's coming out now, the Kickstarter ends, actually ends tomorrow. Um, it's for the, the complete illustrated book of conjuration that's Dungeons and Dragons 5e compatible. Um, I just blatantly put them out there and I put it in the Kickstarter. I'm like, better learn your Latin brush up because you're going to have some fun. And it's, it's not just stuff that was like put into the Necronomicon. Cause a lot of people don't take that seriously. You know, that was a, you know, a Lovecraftian mm-hmm. kind of, but then somebody took it and they took these ancient Sumerian spells and actually made the Necronomicon. And that's what it is. You know, it's, it's to, um, Marduk and Enki and Enlil and all them, you know, that's that's in there. And, and um, so I just put it blatantly out there in the open. Have fun. And um, so God knows what's going to happen when 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 that goes out in two weeks. Now, with with on that subject matter in in your artwork is incredible. I'm sure uh, it all goes amazingly together. Uh, too much backlash on the Internet. Like, I mean, most of the, the crowd you run with is a skateboard punk rock, pretty open kind of crowd. But do you ever hear any backlash of, of your subject matter or anything you're drawing? I mean, I think it's all incredible. I think it's phenomenal. Um, I haven't I haven't gotten anything bad. Mom didn't go, hey, you went to school to do this? My mom? <laughs> yeah. No, she's just happy. She's she's ecstatic. I mean, she's she's very supportive. She's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, this is what you always want to do. She's very – she goes, I don't know about what you're doing, you know, with all that, all kind of stuff. But, um, you know, but kudos to you for, you know, for doing it. Mm-hmm. I haven't talked to my dad in years. Um, I did not turn out the way he wanted me to. 
Um, but no, I don't think any backlash. Um, and the one question I'm going to ask, because, uh, you know, working for yourself, you know, and, and the customer's always right, sort of. Have you had any clients that have just been totally difficult where you're like, I can't work with them. I'm going to finish this one piece and I'm done. So um, I take a lot of things um, from the hairy industry and apply it to what I do now because it's the same thing. Someone is asking for something mm-hmm. and I want to give it to them. And I want to rise above what they're what they're asking for. And yeah, when I was a hairdresser, I'd be like, oh my God, Mary's coming in and I fucking hate her. <laughs> and she wants to go from a level one jet black hair to a level 10 platinum blonde in two, two, you know, two hours. And it's impossible and fuck her and all this other kind of stuff. Just talk shit about her in the back room. Yeah. So I don't do that with what I'm doing now. Um, I love a good challenge. Someone, and I've had a lot of challenges um, with a lot of companies, but the way I look at it now, it's like, okay, this is going to push me. And when I submit the sketches, you know, to the art director and they come back with criticism, I'm not like, fuck you. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Now I get it. You know, and all of a sudden that drawing is that much better. Right on. And I love it. I have, I mean, everybody I've worked for and still work for, super cool. It's a super cool industry. Um, I, I mean, I haven't had anything. I've had, I think one bad email from an art director, and it was, um, "Can you put more clothes on the cleric?" <laughs> so, <coughs> I don't know what kind of mood I was in that day, but yeah, the cleric needed more clothes, so I'm fine with that, you know. But it's it's just every drawing I do now has to be better than the last one. So when I start picking through, and I hate doing this, I'll go through the stuff I, I did a year ago for companies. And I was like, oh, my God, they published that compared to what I'm doing now. But it tells me that, yes, I'm being pushed. And the people who are pushing me are these art directors because that's what they're, they're paid to do. Mm-hmm. You know, take talent and push them. Because myself, I'm only going to get as far as I can take myself. I need someone else to push me. That's why I love skating with groups of people. And getting that stoke going. On a ramp by myself, I'm going to go through my routine. I'm going to go through my tricks, whatever, and this and that. But when you got a bunch of dudes up on a ramp and everybody's cheering each other on and you're watching everybody else and they're doing this and they're pushing you. They don't even have to be like, oh, Phil, do this. It's just, oh, Jimmy did that. Oh, fuck that. I'm going to try. Okay, I'm, I'm going to try that because I haven't tried that yet because Jimmy just did it. You yep. know, and um it, that's what pushes me. So if I have an art director going, okay, you got to change this, 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 and this, I'm like, oh, fuck yeah, well, let's change it and let's fucking do it. Even though I have no idea, I still get scared. Like, I got two jobs while I was sitting here waiting to come up here from existing publishers work for. And I'll get the art direction, and I'm still scared. I'm scared to even open it up. But then it's like, oh, no, you're going to do this, and you're going you're gonna to get through it, and it's going to be awesome, and it's going to be better than the last thing you did. And... um that's the way I look at it. You know, if I, if I start slipping, I'll catch myself or an art director will catch me. Well, again, I'll say it again. Your drive is incredible and infectious, and I feel like a slacker sitting across the table from you. We're coming down to the last three minutes of the show, and I have to ask because you brought up skating, and 
it it had to be a huge honor. We have a legendary skateboarder. Uh, I mean, legendary. Bill Toko is from the Metro Detroit area, and you got to do a couple of graphics for him. I Actually, did. his modern board and also his board for character. Um, uh, that had to be huge. How was it the first time you saw somebody riding a board with your graphics on it out in public? I mean, that's a, that's a different kind of feeling. It was surreal because. You know, all I did was I skated and drew when I grew as, as a kid. Skated and drew. And, you know, it's always in the back of your head you want to do that graphic. And you don't know how it's going to feel when you actually see your graphic out there. So, yeah, the first time I saw it, I think, I can't remember who the hell it was. I don't know if it was Bill or if it was somebody else I saw that graphic. Or if I saw somebody buying it. I can't remember. But it was a surreal moment because I was like, oh, shit, this is real. <laughs> right. Somebody somebody saw it and they were like, oh, I want that. You know, I don't see the sales from the publishers that I work for. All I know is I did a good enough job that they're going to email me back and ask for more work. Mm -hmm. But when you actually see a kid buying that board, you know, it it's, I don't know, it's really weird. It, it, was, it was very surreal. Um, well, and you're so talented. I, I think in the email I... I the last one I sent you, you know, I sent you an idea. Uh, you did the last graphic yep. for me, and I sent I sent Phil an idea on like a Friday, and I'm like, I don't know, it's not, I'm not even sure it's gonna happen. And it was like Sunday, he had the black and white drawing done of Frank and Buddha, and it was incredible. And I'm like, how did that happen? Like that would have taken me a month. Amazing, amazing turnaround time. Um, we have like a minute and a half. This flies by. I it love does. having you here. We're gonna have to do it like seriously every couple months. I'm gonna have you back to tell more stories because it's it's mind boggling. Before uh, we end part two of Many to come. I'd like you to run down your publishers again and how people can see more of your work, your Facebook and all that kind of I stuff. I know in the first episode I got to I got to name them all. Oh yeah, you I don't have, have a list of them right now. But if people want to check you out, how uh, um, what's go the best? To, uh, PhilStoneIllustrations.com. Um, you can also find me on Philstone Art um, on Facebook. Um, I'm also I draw for cash and prizes on on Instagram. I don't post a lot on Instagram. It, that's just a weird platform that you got to keep up with too much. And I don't have the time for that. I might post once every other day, but well, after um, the first show, there's some other shows here, and Andy and, and Ian are like, we got to get Phil Stone in on our show. So you're gonna be seeing more of Phil. Phil, thanks again, thank you, man. Girl. I know you're under the weather. I appreciate the energy, and dude, you are amazing, amazing, and I'm honored to call you a friend. Part two, many more to come, and I'll tell you what, if you can take a fraction of the drive and the dedication that Phil Stone has in his life, you will be successful, I guarantee it. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. I'm Carol Valley. that's the amazing Phil Stone, and this has been The Drop-In. Thank you.